There's a lot of great things going on all over this building, and we're grateful for the transformation. Would you admit that it's been pretty much transformed? And <laughs> praise the Lord. <clears throat> and it's, it's pretty easy to see the changes when you see the before and after pictures, and, um, and, and we're grateful for all of the, and I mean this really literally, uh, this was the cost of it, we're grateful for the blood, sweat, and tears, all three of those were spent. Uh, over the last several months in, in this transformation. At the heart of this project, of course, we are admitting that this is something the Lord has done in our midst, and we're grateful to have been a part of it uh, all. He has brought it about in his perfect timing, and uh, we would have had it done sooner, but in his perfect timing, amen, and in his perfect uh, way, and he's worked on us along the way to get here, and this uh, weekend and on all the weekends to come, uh, we're saying, as the psalmist said, and this is what we're going to be looking at today, Psalm 66, verse 5, come and see what God has done. Come and see uh, what God has done. And we have already admitted, and I said it off the top, it's, it's more than about the bricks and mortar, more than about the building, the transformation of 7 George Street, in fact, if we look at those pictures before and after, this building, could we look at it this way, is a metaphor for the transformation that's happening in the lives of those who have committed their way to Jesus Christ. This is the way I was before, and, and this is the way I am now. I'm in process of being turned into something uh, beautiful for the Lord. And um, the highest priority for us must be to come and see what God has done in your life and in my life, not so much in a building. Do we see the glory of God radiating in each other's lives? Are we experiencing the manifest presence of God's Holy Spirit in this place? Are we, are we hearing the answers to our prayers? Are we sensing that God is actually receiving the worship that we're offering to him. We want a yes to every one of those questions, don't we? Yes, I want all of these things. We want all of these things. And at the heart of all of that is a singular question that's important for us to answer right now as we look at Psalm 66. What effect does it have on me personally when I consider what God has done? Is that affecting me? Is it changing me? Is it transforming me? That's what we're going to look at. What God has done and how that's transforming my life. We're going to read the text as we go along here today. It's going to be up on the screen for you. But let's start with this. What God has done calls for our praise of him. That makes sense, doesn't it? What God has done calls for our praise of him. Let's read the first four verses. Um, Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Now, it's not hard to see that psalms come in different categories, and it's not hard to see that this is a category of psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a shout of gratitude out of the depths of our soul for what God has done in us and through us and for us. The extraordinary thing that God is doing. And notice that the psalmist appeals in verses 1 and 4, he appeals to all the earth to join him in his praise of God. 
He, jo- he calls on all the earth, you see the words here, to shout, to sing, to give him glorious praise, to say to God, the things that you have been doing, God, are awesome. He doesn't want to just do it himself. He's calling on everyone to join him. God's work is so evident. It's so powerful. It's so awesome that he senses that in and of himself, he can't bring enough praise to God. I can't shout loud enough. I can't say it well enough. I I feel inadequate to praise you for all that you've done. Therefore, would you join me, all the earth? Would you praise God with me for everything that's going on here? He can't convey enough praise to God, can't honor him enough, can't say it loud enough, so he's asking uh, for help in praising God for what he's done. And it makes me, um, it really does make me think of Luke 15. You know, in Luke 15, there was this woman, she had lost a coin, it was very valuable to her. And uh, she swept the house and she searched diligently and she found the coin and there was a shepherd and he lost a sheep and he went out and he, he searched diligently and he found the sheep and he brought it back. And both of them were so overjoyed at the thing that was lost and was now found that they came back and they wanted to express their praise to God, but they knew they couldn't do it themselves. They feel like they didn't have enough in them. They were, it's the expression like, I'm so happy, I feel like I could burst, you know? And so they, remember what it says in Luke 15? They called their friends and their neighbors together and they threw a party and they said, come and rejoice with me because the thing that was lost is found again. And that's exactly what's going on for the psalmist. He feels like he just can't say it enough. And God has done so much for us, has he not? God has done so much for us. And I feel like I can't praise him enough. And that's why I'm so glad that we can do this together, aren't you? I'm so glad that we can get together this weekend. I was just like, I can't wait to get to this weekend so that we can be together, so that we can rejoice together in the thing that God has done here. And, and, and that's the great thing about this church. I just know how much you love to praise God and you love to worship him. And I get that it's a little different. So I, I, I feel like this weekend you're a little bit off your game and I get it because everything's so new. I don't even know where I'm supposed to sit anymore right? People are coming in. Where do I sit? Like Todd and Cheryl have moved from this side of the auditorium to this side. What am I to do? Now, a lot of families like the McPherson's, you guys are in the same spot pretty much, right? Correct. Correct. But the Dugards have moved and um, the Millies have moved. Where are the Millies? You guys are over here. You're always over here. And so everybody's a little confused. But we're giving you a few weeks of soft launch here until the grand opening weekend to kind of get settled. And this is my seat and everything's not new anymore after three weeks. And, and then you can come on September 9th, 10th and bring it. So that all together, well together, listen, we can praise the Lord because what God has done calls for our praise of him. Amen? And we're gonna do that. We're gonna bring that to him. And um, so let, let's, keep, let's keep looking at this. What God has done calls for our praise of him as we remember his goodness to us. This is the reason why we're gonna praise him. As we remember his goodness to us. Let's read a few more verses here. Verse five now. Uh, come and see what God has done. There's the key verse. You got that underlined yet? Come and see what God has done. 
He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Now this uh, is a little historical reference. Whatever's happened to the psalmist that he's praising God for, he's now remembering back to the time of the Exodus when the, the Jews were in Egypt and they were slaves and through Moses' leadership, God delivered them out of that and brought them to a place of freedom. That's what he's rehearsing here in these verses. And that part of Israel's history, you need to know this when you're reading Exodus, that part of Israel's history is a foreshadowing, if I could use that word, what what theologians call a type, okay? It was looking forward to the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. The deliverance that Egypt got from slavery is a picture of the deliverance we get from the slavery that we are in uh, to sin, This is the salvation that God has provided for us in Jesus Christ, and we're talking about the goodness of God, and God is good to us in so many ways, is he not? Good to us in so many ways. That list is long of the good things that God has given to us, but of all the things that God has given to us that are good, the provision of his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, to be resurrected to new life, defeating the curse of sin, and making a way for us not to die, that second death, eternal separation from God, is that not the best thing he's done for us? That's the full expression of God's goodness to us. And all of redemption history, all of history itself points to the cross of Jesus Christ and to the empty tomb. And our only hope is expressed really in verse six. This is our only hope. He, God, turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. In other words, he made a way for them to be saved and he makes a way through Jesus Christ for us to be saved. That is our hope. In the New Testament language with knowledge of the greater plan, we hear this from Jesus in the Gospel of John 5.24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, that's the Father, has eternal life. He does not come under judgment. That's what we're talking about here. No judgment for those who are in Jesus Christ. But, notice this, has passed from death to life, from slavery in Egypt to the other side of the sea. A miracle made that happen. And a miracle saves every single person that finds the forgiveness of sins through Christ. And all of it is an expression, the greatest expression of God's goodness to us. And next weekend, we're going to gather in this place and for the first time, we're gonna receive the Lord's table together. We're gonna have the bread and the cup and we're gonna share that together and we're gonna remember in in that time together, a whole service crafted around the Lord's table so that we can pause and remember God's goodness to us, so that we can thank him again for the sacrifice of his son that makes the relationship with him possible. So don't miss next weekend as we gather together. Well, I think you can see where we're doing here uh, through this message as we're working through Psalm 66. We're actually building a statement here 
of what we believe, what God has done calls for our praise of him as we remember his goodness to us as well as his testing of us. Now, this is the part of the message. It just seems to be that every message has a lot of good parts and that there always just seems to be one part of the message that we wish wasn't there. And uh, this is that part of the message. I wish it didn't have to be that we would have to be tested, that we would have to go through challenges and difficult seasons in our lives, but that is a fact of life on a sin-sickened planet. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. Don't be surprised when it happens. And so that's what we see next. It's the reality, starting at verse eight now. The psalmist says, bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. So much assurance in that verse. For you, O God, have tested us. Who tested us? Who is it? God. He's the author of this. Keep that in mind. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Where is silver tried? In a furnace. Okay, that's where silver is tried. That's what God is doing. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. We'll just pause there for a moment. The psalmist is really recognizing along the way that there have been some difficult seasons. That's really somewhat of an understatement because God chose these. He ordained these for them and he ordains these things for us. You, oh God, have tested us. This whole sequence of verses, I had to admit as I was reading it and studying it out that I wasn't terribly comfortable with some of the things that God was saying here because it's so graphic in its, decision, in it, in its description. And it brought back so many memories for me of times when men rode over my head. When God tested me, when I was in the fire and being proven. And I'm sure that's true for every person in this room. You can think about your own fiery trial, if I could put it that way, your own testing, the difficult seasons that you have had to go through or for some of you that you're going through right now. And you can take your own memories and your own experiences and you read these verses and you're doing exactly what I did this week. You're laying your own experience on top of these verses and you're saying, yep, that was me. People ran over my head. I went through a difficult season. I was in the fire. You tried me. You brought me into the, into the net. You, you laid, this phrase cap, just captures my attention so much. You laid a crushing burden on me. I would say anybody in this room with any years behind them at all understands exactly what's going on here and what the psalmist is speaking of. But then at the end of that trial, and, and those of us who have come through those things know this to be true. At the end of it, verse 12, here's the part we didn't read. Yet you have brought us out to a place of? You have brought it out, us out to a place of? Abundance. Abundance. 
Now, where is that place of abundance? Well, if the, if the challenge was, it could be physical, material, it could be something like that. So in other words, if the, if the challenge I was facing, the trial I was going through, if that was some kind of physical thing, that I, there was a sickness, there was an illness, and God brought me through that and to a place of healing, that can make sense, that could possibly be it. It could be that maybe it's, it's more of a financial thing uh, uh, and, and I was in a place where I lost my job and we didn't have enough money and we were starting to draw down on our line of credit and we had no other way. And an envelope showed up in the door or, or, or God provided me with a job and we were able to recover from that and God brought us to a place of material blessing again. Could be that. It could be that this relationship was strained and it caused me so much stress and I didn't know how I was going to be able to go on without this relationship being right and God brought about a miracle and reconciled that. Whatever it is, those are just three examples of the places of abundance that God can bring to us. Sometimes it's like the trial is just continuing and yet, but internally, I'm at such a place of peace with it. And that too is a place of abundance that that somehow in the midst of difficulties, you can be okay? Whatever it is that God is doing here, it's a place of abundance that God brings us to at the end of it. Now for the, the psalmist here in the context, it's almost certainly some kind of deliverance from an enemy or an oppressor. But the lack of specificity serves us well. You can't take this psalm. There's no markers in the psalm that would allow us to actually lay it on top of any particular Old Testament story. So that lack of precision about what this psalm is referring to allows us to apply it broadly to any crushing burden that we might be facing and the blessing that comes on the other side of that. And we know this. I mean, this weekend is such a wonderful celebration of what God has done for us together. And it would be appropriate for me in this very moment, this weekend, to remind ourselves that this family together faced a crushing burden several years ago. And God carried us through that, didn't he? For those of you who went through it, you know what it was like then, the before picture, and what God has done now, the after picture. And the words of the psalmist applied so well to our circumstances, you, you let men ride over our heads in those years. We went through fire and water, and yet, look around at the people and this place. God has brought us to a place of abundance. Amen. Amen? It's just awesome. And I want to commend those who stayed. Those who endured all of that. Those who believed. I want to commend those who stayed at their post during that entire season who continued to greet people at the doors, even though our church wasn't really the greatest place to be. Those who continued to teach and harvest kids, to teach kids the gospel. Who continued to work at setting up chairs and taking them down every single week. When our church didn't feel like it had a lot of life in it. 
all those small group leaders who kept gathering with their people, to everyone who still prayed, to everyone who was still faithful in their giving during all of those years. God brought us through fire and water and you remained faithful, you endured, you had faith to believe God's promises and God has brought us together here to this place of abundance. And it's awesome. We praise him for the testing times too because they are no less part of what God has done. And all of that should be moving us to recommit our way to him. Let's read 13 through 15. That's what the psalmist does. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Now, I'm so glad that we didn't have to build that kind of worship into this building. I feel like having to build an altar on which we would sacrifice animals would have been a challenge with the building department at City Hall. I feel like working our way through the crowd of animal rights activists as we came to worship would have been a bit of a problem. Not to mention the fact that I think slaughtering animals is a pretty gruesome thing. And so I'm glad, aren't you? I'm glad that we don't have an altar up here on which we are sacrificing animals. Uh, Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice. Amen? Uh, He fulfilled all of that. All of it pointed to him and he fulfilled all of that. But for this psalmist, this is the way his worship was to be expressed. And that's what he's saying. At this point in the psalm, in fact, the psalmist switched to the first person singular. This is very personal for him. Up until this time, there's been a lot of plural pronouns in rehearsing the thing that God has done for everyone, but now this is where we get this idea that this is a very personal thing for him. Notice, he says, I will come, I will perform, my lips uttered. And again, it's suggested that this psalm is an expression of gratitude for a very individual, personal deliverance. And thus this person is seeing, God, you delivered me. I'm going to recommit my way to you just in case that's not clear. But even if it isn't an individual thing, even if it is a corporate thing, as we come here week by week and we see this grand thing that God has done in our midst, that's a very corporate thing. It's a very we and us kind of thing. The thing God does in a community amongst a people for Israel, there was a lot of rehearsing of the thing that he had done for the nation. But even if it's that kind of group thing, individuals still have to grapple with the implications for them. What does this mean for me? That's the question we asked at the very beginning. What effect does it have on me when I consider what God has done for us. I mean, really, this is the best thing that you can do when you're hearing a message of any kind. If you're sitting in a room with a group of people listening to a sermon, the best thing that you can do is always to ask yourself the question, what does this mean for me? Never hide behind the corporate or the community. Never hide behind the group. Because we and us 
Here's the challenge. We and us can give us cover for not considering the scriptures in an I and me kind of way. In a way that recognizes my individual responsibility to take what I've heard, to take the experiences that I'm having, and then apply them into my own life. To obey Christ myself, to obey his word. At the opening of a facility like this one, for example, we all know that uh, we've been part of something great together as a group. The staff team and their role in all of this, the elders' vision to do this and to give the go, the way that people have stepped up, the way that we brought trades together, volunteers who have given time here in all kinds of ways, the way that so many of you have prayed for this, the way that so many of you have given sacrificially toward this. And so in a very real way, there's, a, there's an us and a we to this whole project. But each of us has to hear the call to do this in a way that's very individual, that shows that we understand that this is about me and I responding to the word of God. In other words, we needed to raise a lot of money to do this. This is, this is just one example. We needed to raise a lot of money to be able to do this. But if it just stays at the we part, I could actually sit there and just go, you know, in terms of we, we means them and I don't have to. And then it, it doesn't actually get done. In order for the project to, to get done, it took a lot of us saying individually, me and I, saying this is what I'm going to do. This is my part and my responsibility. I actually have to write a check and not worry so much about everyone else. And that's how it all came together. Because you took personal responsibility for your part in all of this. And to the extent that you and I do that, the church, together, we and us, will be effective in its mission and effective in becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every day. Every individual here seeing their personal responsibility to obey and live out the word of God. So whatever happened to this psalmist, he was ready to recommit his life to God no matter what anyone else did. And that's so critical. He was ready to recommit his life to, to God on his own, no matter what anyone else did. If, if none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. And so he says in verses 13 and 14, I made vows, I'm going to keep them. He says in verse 15, I'm going to bring offerings, I'm going to bring my worship to God. It's very individual. And when all of God's people do that all together, it becomes a pretty awesome thing, an uncommon community of God's people. And you know, this is such a great moment to recommit. In the prayers that um, uh, some were uh, praying earlier, we heard that, that whole idea of recommitment and God, we're at a, a starting line and, and help us to do some great things for you. 
You know, I had a, a couple of people say to me this week, can you see the finish line with regard to this project? Can you see the finish line? And I get what they were saying. I'm not disparaging anybody who said that. But the reality is that, that this isn't the finish line. Getting this building's not the finish line. I mean, the, the reality is that when an athlete trains, and I, I get that I have no credibility when it comes to talking about athletes training. I understand that. Just work with me. So when an athlete trains, as I understand it, there's a, there's a very strict, strict regimen of, of diet and exercise and sleep and training and, and years and years and years and years that lead up to that moment. That's what we've been doing. Training, preparing a strict regimen of, of getting up to the starting line. And now, where are we? Now, we're actually in the stadium and we're stepping up to the starting line and we're taking our position in the blocks and we're poised now waiting for the starter's pistol to go off. And the only question now is, we've been committed up to this point, but at this point now, will we recommit this time to the race? Are we prepared to run this race with endurance? Will you commit yourself to that? This is the moment, a fresh start. Is there some sin in your life that needs to be repented of? Is there some relationship that needs to be fixed? Are there just some things in your life that are just a distraction to you and you know they're keeping you from a, a, a full-out expression of your love and devotion to Christ? This is the moment right now, right in this minute to say, God, I recommit my way to you. And why would we do that? so that nothing would hinder our prayers. Look, the last few verses. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He's attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. We started this service with prayer because we believe that when we don't pray, nothing else matters. And the psalmist is concerned that God might not hear him. What a, what a waste if we would spend the time in prayer, commit ourselves to it, say the words, Spend the time, and then to think that God didn't even hear it. I don't want to take that risk. I don't want to spend that time and not know that God is actually hearing the things that I'm praying. What a tragedy that would be to receive so much from the Lord, so much abundance from him, so much of his goodness coming our way, and then to pray to him and, and he doesn't hear it? Because of cherished Iniquity. Not just, not just any iniquity, not, not just sin, cherished iniquity. How many sinners in the room? Let's just take a survey. How many sinners in the room? Okay. All of us. 
correct? Even those that didn't raise their hand, sin of rebellion. <laughs> didn't listen to the pastor. All of us are sinners. This is a gathering place of sinners. It's a, it's a, it's a place for broken people to come to. We wouldn't want any of our guests or anyone outside the church who's never been here to think that, well, that's a place for perfect people. There are no perfect people here. It starts right up here at the front. Amen. This is a place to come when your life is messed up. And so it's not just about sin. You know, oh, yeah, I still struggle with that. It's really hard for me. I'm really trying to work on it. I'm praying about it. I'm searching the scriptures. I got some accountability. It's not that. That's not cherished iniquity. Cherished iniquity is the thing that you love. This is like you saying, yeah, I know what the Bible says about this. I know how God feels about it, but I just like it so much that I'm gonna keep it. I don't really care what God says. How many people recognize that's a pretty dangerous place to live? And beyond being dangerous and having the threat of God's discipline coming down on your head for that overt rebellion, I know it's wrong, but I'm doing it anyway, apart from the judgment of God being hanging over you on that, he's not hearing your prayers. And if there's no prayer, there's no power. It's such a sad state of affairs that any of us would be in that situation. We don't want to lose the power that undergirds the work. We can't do anything on our own. Nothing effective, nothing eternal, nothing that matters. I love James 5.16, it points us in the same direction. James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Now, a righteous person, not a perfect person. That's not what it means. A righteous person is a person that's received the grace of God. A righteous person is a person in whom the, the, the righteousness of Jesus was imputed or put on them. A person who recognizes that and who says, I'm going to live in the grace of God, not abusing the grace of God, but striving every day to be more like Jesus Christ. That's a righteous person. And that person's prayer has great power as it's working. That's what we want. We want the power of God in this place and among these people. Amen? That's what we want. The testimony of the psalmist is clear. Verse 16, I will tell you what he's done for my soul. And he knows that if he had had any unconfessed sin in his life, any undealt with sin in his life, he would have no reasonable expectation that God would hear him when he prayed. But his conscience was clear. What a great thing to live with a clear conscience. Insofar as it's possible with me, I'm living at peace with everybody and I'm at peace with God and my conscience is clear. That's what he says. Verse 19, truly God has listened. So when you do the math, he had no cherished sin because he was praying and God had actually listened to him. So he had the greatest assurance that a person could possibly have, namely, verse 20, God has not removed his steadfast love from me. 
Now, when you see that phrase, steadfast love, you know that that's covenantal language in the Old Testament. That means that this is all about relationship. God has a relationship with us, and he wants us to know he loves us. Nothing's ever going to change that. God's not going to fall out of love with you. And that you are secure in him. There's nothing that can change that relationship with him. God loves me. God hears me. And I have his power in my life. I'm his forever. And he's prepared to bring me to a place of abundant goodness. that I can have the full expression of God's goodness in my life, that we can have the full expression of God's goodness in this place among these people. Who wants that? Do you want that? I want the full expression of God's goodness to me. I want it so that whenever I pray, I know that God hears me and that God answers me, not necessarily according to my will, but according to his. And I'll get that. I'll know it at the time. And the only thing standing in our way again, cherished iniquity, which at its root is pride. I know what's best for me. And the antidote from this, from sin and pride, is humility. And so we should know this. John Piper said it this way. Prayer grows in the soil of humility. None of us would pray as we ought without the humility to admit helplessness. We are helpless to do, again, this is the phrase, we are helpless to do what God has done. We can't do it. If we want to move on in mission and be effective for God and see his glory radiate in this place, if we want to see lives transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we have to admit that we're helpless to do all of that. It's what God has done. It's what God will do in this place. So prayer starts with humility. By humble prayer, we call upon the very power of God to do what we cannot. There's so much that we want to see done in this city. It is no accident that we are in this building, at this address, in the heart of our city. It changes everything. We've had a heart for the poor, for the marginalized, for the weak and vulnerable. Now we live amongst them. We've supported, we've helped others serve them. Now we have to get our hands dirty. We have to get involved because we're right here. And for us, it's it's both sides of the gospel. It's preaching the life-giving message of Jesus Christ that you can be reconciled to him and have the forgiveness of your sins. And then it's living out the gospel by manifesting the love of God to those who are on the margins. Both of those things are the gospel. And when you're not doing the second of those things, you have no reasonable claim to the first of those things. And we're poised now to have the power of God manifested in our ministry in a way that we have not yet seen. And so, let nothing hinder our prayers so that we can have the power of God on this ministry. So I think you see what we've done here. 
What God has done for us calls for our praise of him as we remember his goodness to us as well as his testing of us, moving us to recommit our way to him so that nothing would hinder our prayers. To God be the glory in this place and in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we are beyond grateful for what you have done and for uh, the place that you have brought us to. And we recognize that with us, uh, with that comes a tremendous amount of responsibility to uh, be uh, mindful, watchful of our own lives. And this message is pointing us again to the responsibilities that we bear to assure ourselves that we are in a good relationship with you, a good place with you. And so God, help us with that. Help us to hear your word today and to be quick to obey it. Let us always and forever acknowledge that it is what God has done in us and in this place. And please, God, from our lips now, receive all the glory as we worship you.